What's up, Jessica? Oh, hey, how are you? <laughs> All like right. We well, I love how we recorded that. Like we haven't been talking for half an hour, but yeah. uh, hello, everybody. Hey, if you're one of the 23 people who listened last time, which is probably actually like 12 people, because I did re-listen on some of the platforms just to see what it sounded <laughs> like. Um, but if you're one of those people who returned for episode five. five. Yep. Thanks for coming back to the smell test. Thanks, y'all. And this is the smell test, the podcast where we talk about movies from our childhood or past that were significant to us and figure out whether they still hold up in the 2023 era. Sound good as a brief synopsis, Diane? I think that sounds excellent. And so <laughs> when we talk about when we were younger, so I think so far... A lot of movies that we've covered on my end have been from the 90s because I was born in 1987. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, in my end, we've done 80s movies. You've done like mid 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because I was born in 81. So I definitely didn't watch those movies. Right. But some relativity for today, um, because today we are talking about Empire Records, which is from 1995. So I was 14, but I never watched it ever until yesterday no way ever no <laughs> oh my gosh i assume you had seen it at like some point in your life um i think i would have said no to it if i had <laughs> really oh <laughs> i will say empire records so just a little brief synopsis this movie uh originally filmed to be a two-day adventure turned in cutting down into a 24-hour adventure of the teens and the one adult, or I don't know, the ambiguously the one aged adult. people, because <laughs> some of them, like, obviously, Lucas got into the casino, so he was probably 21. I don't know anyone's age. There was also 15-year-olds drinking in this. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I like they left it ambiguous. So a bunch of ambiguous um people entering into i think one of the synopsis said young adulthood or something yeah well so Liv tyler's character was a senior in high school but yeah. and then the kid who stole stuff was in high school the rest of them who knows somewhere around that age <laughs> yeah. and uh and chronically having adventures while the underlying theme of the movie is that our beloved record store that cares about independent business is getting taken over by the man and the man being a multi uh a, a, a franchise record store so uh 1995 oh fun fact my favorite fun fact in the background to this movie is <laughs> the guy who approved the green light for this movie two weeks later received the script for clueless said no did you know this no. because he didn't want to become the teen movie i'm air quoting with my fingers the teen movie movie company so oh. he turned clueless down this movie made three hundred and three thousand dollars at the box office and cost 10 million to make and clueless was a mega star <laughs> so, oh my so god okay is really just a life lesson in bad bad decision making bad decision making i had no idea yeah that it made so little yeah I it did know. not become common 
Until, it's not a common film. No, it's only become common kind of um, in the cyclical nature of uh, of styles. When a couple of years ago, when Clueless started coming back out again and people started caring about my so-called life again, that kind of group. So people who are like 25 now to 20 to 25 now, this became like they're like the way that I used to dress like. It's their aesthetic. That's so their, it, it became yeah. popular for aesthetic purposes. Right. But it's not in the Library of Congress yet <laughs> for aesthetic purposes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, this, and so in Empire Records, much like in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, this is based on real life. Uh, the writer, she had worked at Tower Records. And it's very funny because I remember Tower Records vaguely. But everything's like she worked at Tower Records Store 166 in Arizona. Like every every single like source I see talks about how she worked at this specific number. So I guess that was a bigger deal that I probably should have researched further. But um, so she worked at Tower Records and her co-workers who worked there until 2005 when that Tower Records closed down said that she pulled some of the stories directly from Tower Records. Regardless, in the longest introduction to a movie ever, uh, this movie follows the adventures of this group of many people trying to figure out how to live their lives, profess their love, have sex for the first time, and um, (laughs) also keep a record store open. Diane, why don't you tell us? She's laughing. Her head is down as she looks. Why don't you tell us why this movie was so impactful to you? <laughs> okay. So um so I'm the the longer we do this, the more I realize how much the cable TV channel HBO had on what media I consumed as a kid. So <laughs> Short Circuit 2. It was on HBO all the time, which is why I watched it all the time. There's a movie called Airheads, which I may want to revisit depending on accessibility um, that came out that I watched all the time. So picture it, Orange County, California, 1996. I'm eight, nine years old at this time. Uh, I spent some time just chilling before school every day i can't remember why um why i had school so late but i was in a situation where i was home alone a lot for like an hour or two killing time like after my sister went to middle school i was in elementary school and i would like ride my bike to school so i like had time to kill parents were gone other sisters gone with them and i'd watch hbo so i'd like watch a lot of (laughs) movies unattended and this was one of them and so um i mean i loved it i loved it i um if there's ever a case that i'm pansexual this would be it because i think i was attracted to every single person in it when i was watching it <laughs> as I a young that. kid because imagine this i'm nine i'm watching these people they're the cool much much like fast times but i was even younger here these were the cool high schoolers and like i guess every each movie we reviewed so far i've thought those are cool high schoolers so 
you're right upon the rewatch their ages are very ambiguous but like grown like as a kid i just assumed a lot of them were high school i also have to admit up until yesterday i did not know so you mentioned it was based on arizona uh, a story in arizona but it takes place in delaware which i had no idea i always assumed it was la um because i lived right there so i just assumed because i had i would see um what is that it's not virgin uh there's a record store there that had like a record store like a sign like that so i just assumed like i think i conflated those as a kid okay um well and it could have easily has been that he drove his motorcycle to vegas instead of atlantic city you know right yeah so i thought it was in california and vegas until he said i went to atlantic city also i have to admit i rarely saw that part hmm. <laughs> when i was a kid because it was on hbo i would always catch it at random moments yeah and watching it last night i was like i think i've seen this as an adult but i don't remember seeing these parts as a kid um but it also um was one of you know the soundtrack is one of probably the first um I would say like the one of the first times I was exposed to like um rock music <laughs> which like sounds really lame but um you know my father's middle eastern so we listened in the car to a lot of middle eastern tapes um we didn't listen like we would listen to the radio sometimes but um so I I have a strong connection to the music in this film actually so um <laughs> yeah that that's I mean, where i was and that that it continues uh the gin blossoms is featured on that soundtrack sure and, uh i'm i'm pretty well known for loving the gin blossoms <laughs> i will say that um a lot of the critic feedback of this movie is it's a soundtrack without a story that's a very popular critic's feedback so that's fair yeah 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 it's a great soundtrack <laughs> it sure is actually my favorite part in research so i made my husband watch this movie with me and i i can't even like pretend to talk about like i can see why it would be cute and i could see if i had i maybe i avoided the angsty maybe i was angsty enough myself that i didn't need to see it in other people on movies but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I watched the movie last night with my husband and, and there are a couple points that made us like laugh not for the right reasons but the um the my favorite thing because I do some research about the movie and I since I made fun of you for using Wikipedia I didn't use it so my favorite part is I found a list that was the top 15 things you didn't know about Empire Records and they didn't have 15 things Number 15 is this September, it will be 25 years old. <laughs> they had nothing else to say about this fucking movie because it's so, because so many things happen, but there's still nothing interesting and it's so confusing. <laughs> Diane's looking like, so. I'm just like, I'm just having a, I'm just, I'm trying to cope because I rewatched it. 
I rewatched. This is the first one that I've actually rewatched. This the same exact time that you're rewatching it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did that with Short Circuit, but as far as my, one of my favorites that we've watched, that you've watched, and I watched. This is the first time I watched at the same time you were watching it for the first mm -hmm. time, and uh, I I sing along. <laughs> I got it. I understood. I mean, Eric was really mad that I didn't know that Guar was a real band. <laughs> okay all right let's get to some of the meat of it so we open with lucas who uh is a conundrum to me until the very end of the movie when they explain the relationship yeah. with lucas and joe but we open with lucas who has finally gotten the opportunity to close the store so we mm -hmm. open the night before the big day and he is told three rules. He is told, you, stay away from my alcohol, stay away from my cigars, and count the money twice. And the only one of those rules he did was count the money twice. Because then, as he's smoking the cigar and drinking all the booze and using the Joe's drum set, who, by the way, like, is Anthea, Anthony LaPaglia, like, hot? I'm confused. Yes. I'm, he's <laughs> like, very hot. I'm like, not, oh, man. He's a not contemporarily and not... Not now. Any other film aside from this one, because <laughs> he's the guy in um, Days and Confused. Have you seen that film? Yeah, it, it. I feel the same about Days and Confused as I feel about this movie. Okay, so they're similar because, yeah. I mean, let's be real. There was a whole genre back then that was very much like, well, let's just watch what it's like to do this for a day, which I think is pretty yeah. cool. I think we moved past it in today's society because we have social media and we can access people's lives all over the world very easily. So it's not as interesting. Anyway, so Days and Confused, um, he plays one of the, the like dorky losers. So the girl with the red curly hair, mm -hmm. um, she had it's her a blonde friend and you no. don't know that lucas is in dazed and confused not joe i thought oh yeah, hold on is that yeah. who you're talking to? i was oh. talking about joe is joe hot is joe hot <laughs> joe, like dad oh. guys. i don't know but not my you know dad. what he's cute. weird <laughs> the opposite of the dude who plays lucas wasn't hot then pretty hot now he's on like um like crime shows or something. Yeah, like but I thought I liked. I don't know something about his vibe. Maybe because he wasn't gross. Where I will say the he's the one gross. I identify with the most now. <laughs> yes, um, he's our age. Yeah, uh, he's our age, and he was just trying to deal with a bunch of dipshits, and he was trying really fucking hard. But he did it lovingly, for the most yeah. part. Tough love. Um, okay, so Lucas somehow is made to be the night manager. It's his first time. Uh, and he, in being a sneaky night manager, decides he's going to look through all the drawers and figures out that Empire Records is about to be sold as part of a franchise, which is a theme that I don't think ran as strong through the movie as it needed to, to really make you have the feels for the situation. But um, he, so he goes... He takes his little motorcycle and rides to Atlantic City, and he's going to get enough money to help buy the store. Now, 
You like that he put that all together right away. He walks into the casino. He's got his black turtleneck on and black leather jacket, which that's why it, when you asked Izzy hot, I was immediately thinking about Lucas and that black that's turtleneck. That's his jacket, too. This was all, by the way, shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, like uh Dawson's Creek. Anyway, Ooh, so, so um, so Lucas goes to Atlantic City, he walks in, he pulls the lever on one of the slot machines, and this lady gets all this money. He calls 22 when he goes by the roulette table. He gets all this money. And then he goes to that. What is the game where you shoot dice? Craps. Craps table. He says, I'm playing it all. He rolls sevens. I'm playing it all again. Let it ride. And then he rolls a two and he loses all his money. So he went. He rolls a two, which is called in, in gambling speak. It's called snake eyes, which is like the one thing you do not want. Unless it's a monopoly, because if you're in my family in monopoly, that means you get one of each kind of dollar. You, are you gambling with monopoly? I'm just saying, kind of. <laughs> I said in gambling. It's a real estate game. game. I a said gambling in gambling. Game. I'd specified. <laughs> I just should have said in casino speak. In, casino. Um, in the casino, that's like the shitty one. That's yeah. like the shittiest one I think you can get. Okay. Well, so that's what he did. Mm -hmm. and so he lost all his money so he had this girl fawning over him and everyone loved him <laughs> and he was talking waxing poetic about how he's gonna save all his friends jobs it's good versus evil them. like that's the kind of shit he was saying like this is good versus evil and so then he goes so then we fast forward to the next morning he's like sleeping on his bike outside the record store until his two friends walk in aj and mark Mark is by the by far my favorite character, even though absolutely that plays that. We'll character. get into it. We'll get into it, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and tells them what happened, and then leaves. So I don't know why he stayed and waited for them to get there. Two minutes later, Joe drives up. The kids try to pretend they don't know that the money's missing, and Joe furiously starts looking for money. And then at some point, Lucas just walks back in like nothing happened. The audacity of Lucas through this movie was very confusing to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I... must have cut out a lot. They cut out 40 minutes of the final edited film like back further so i do think that they missed some like they missed some pieces in the dialogue space that's in okay because it is a pretty short film so i'm very surprised yeah. they cut it back that well, much one of the reasons they cut it out is toby mcguire was supposed to play a character named andre but he was dealing with sobriety issues and when they were all hanging out in wilmington north carolina the direct the producer got them all townhouses that were all within five minutes of each other and they used to go to the producer's house every night and there was like a ton of weed. There was mushrooms. There was like alcohol. And Toby Maguire was just like went down to his basement and was like curled up in a ball in his basement. And he's like, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. I got to get my life together. I got to go. So that so the director agreed to cut out the Toby Maguire scene. So I think that we probably <laughs> missed some stuff. <laughs> so so what you're saying is Toby Maguire couldn't hang. Or I'm saying Tony McGuire <laughs> could have made it a valuable movie. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> both. I think actually both, both are true. He he would have made he would have um enhanced the film, especially since his scenes were already filmed and he had a I'm guessing a pretty strong pretty decent role in it. Um, but also he couldn't just be chill and hang. No well, thanks, man. He had a, he had tried out for both the Lucas and the Mark character, and he didn't get either of them, but they liked him so much that they kept him. Okay. Yeah. So 
I can't imagine anyone but Ethan, Ethan Embry, mm. uh, credited as Ethan Randall in the film, uh, as Mark. <laughs> yeah. So other fun facts about the movie, there was a lot of incestuous things happening there. No, not really. What? But so Rex Manning's, so the ballerina, you know, that like, mm-hmm. for some reason, Mark comes yep. up. That's Rex we'll Manning's get into it. daughter in real life. <laughs> That's who's the that's that dude's daughter in real life, yeah. Aww. And then at the time, he just he died recently, I think. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that actor died, yeah. And then that and that Coyote Shivers guy, the guy who played Burko, oh, yeah, he was Liv Tyler's stepdad at the time of the movie. What, yeah, yeah, he was married to her mom. He's young though. I mean, he was well into his 20s, but yeah. What? I mean, I don't know, man. I'm just telling you the weird facts. Okay, okay. No, because you did say we really actually don't know the ages of any of these people. No. And to be fair, I did think that Burko was probably older Mm -hmm. than the other ones. I figured, so there's like a bunch of people, but there's Burko, and Burko is dating... I think it's kind of implied that he's dating Deborah, who I also think is probably in her 20s in the film. Yeah. And um, it was supposed to be the guy from Green Day. But he something happened. He got sick. And so they hired him. And then they found out it was Liv Liv Tyler's stepdad. And they considered firing him because then people would know he was so much older than the rest of them. But they kept him. Those are my weird facts about Empire Records. So let's talk about some characters. Who did you resonate best with? You kind of already said it, but we'll talk about that anyway. Um, I'm reserving something for the cringiest moment related to him. Okay. But Mark. <laughs> I resonate with Mark, and here's why. Um, So I've thought about it. Because you also want to kiss Gloria Stefan's 20-foot face. Yes, that's exactly it. And here's, (laughs) he's just goofy. Okay, few things about Mark. And actually, I do, I will say, I I love Mark. But I was also thinking Eddie's a real G in this. And he's very, like, Mm -hmm. underestimated in this. So there's a dude named Eddie who just randomly pops up. He shows up, gives Mark pot brownies. And um, he comes in later on during a really... Unclear if he works. Does he work there? I couldn't tell. (laughs) He's like in the staff background. He he really works at the pizza place. But like at one point he's wearing like a button up shirt and a tie, which was like confusing. But he just pops in and like there's like a tense scene that's happening and he walks in not knowing what's happening and he he's like hey guys i thought maybe you all would be hungry so i brought a pizza and like he was just this nice supportive dude who was just in the background who he wasn't in the drama himself he was just supporting everyone just chilling so um i would say a mixture of him and mark so mark is ethan embry's character and he's just goofy he has a wide variety of music tastes but i would say he was really into metal music he was watching a guar uh 
music video. Um, but he's like goofy. He was laughing at a bunch of stuff. I would say he's the one who, um, he's not really seen as a love interest. He's just kind of there for comedic effect. He's like making fun of, so Rex Manning, it's Rex Manning day. You said it, it covers a day in the life. It's Rex Manning day is the right. day that they're covering. So April 8th is the holiday. Rex Manning did. And so Rex Manning is this like washed out singer who comes into the store uh, at, to sign autographs. And he's uh, it's it's Delaware. It's like bumfuck Delaware. No offense if you're from Delaware. But my point is, it's like he's not happy that he's there. Right. And so um, he has these this like corny ass music that no one likes. But like Mark is like watching these music, the music video that he, the most recent one that he has is really corny and like making fun of it and just like dancing along. And he just kind of does that throughout. And so you mentioned that he was like making out with Gloria Estefan's like a, this giant poster, but like he kept doing shit like that's weird. And there's some other weird shit that he did. But there were moments when he was just like by himself, like cleaning or doing something. And then he would just like laugh to himself because he just like entertained himself about like something goofy he was doing. And I can really relate to that because I spend a lot of my time alone in my apartment in Portland. I'm in Florida right now, but usually I'm in Portland and I'll do shit and like just laugh at myself. And so that's why Mark resonates with me. Um, but what about you? Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot more characters than we've mentioned. So there's Liv Tyler, right? Uh, who plays, um, what's her name in that? <laughs> Do you know? Corey, Casey? Corey. Corey. We got Luke, you mentioned Lucas, we mentioned Mark. Um, we got AJ so we, who's in love with Liv Tyler. Who's in love, so AJ played by Johnny Whitworth is in love with Corey. Mm-hmm. And then you got Robin Tooney or Tunney. Most underrated actress in America. I fucking love her. So wonderful, much. wonderful actress. She was in The Craft. Amazing in The Craft. Mm-hmm. You got Renee <laughs> Zellweger as Gina. Oscar winner, you know. Uh-huh. And so those are like the main, the main employees, I would say, mm-hmm. right? For, yeah. yeah, you're not missing anybody. Yeah, because I mentioned yeah. like the auxiliary characters a little bit. So it's like a lot of those people have gone on that have really, I mean, by a lot. I guess I mean kind of live Tyler and no, I mean, Miller, I mean, you know? uh, one of them was in that. Um, I mean, the kid Warren. So the 15 year old Brendan Sexton the third. <laughs> he's in like real stuff. Uh huh. One of them was in. Was it eight? Was it Johnny Whitworth? One of them was in that three billboard, three billboards over Evans, Mississippi. Okay. Yep. Uh, so like, there's there were like Lucas Johnny Whitworth was in that. No, I don't remember oh. which one was in it. I should have written it. Down. Oh, okay. But I'm saying like of these teenagers, like there are genuine well, like Oscar performances that come out. Ethan Embry is also so Ethan Embry, um. He has two went on to be to do other like 90s movies such as Mm -hmm. Can't Hardly Wait, which he was like the protagonist, like the main protagonist, which I would love to rewatch because I did rewatch it pretty recently and I had thoughts. Um, (laughs) So he he, he's gone on, I would say, to have some pretty decent 
um, success. So this was really cool because this was like right when he was taking off. Yeah. And so I've thought about it and I didn't really watch many Disney films as a kid. Um, but I feel like Ethan Embry is like the closest I have to a Disney princess because growing up, I loved him in Dutch, loved him in this film. And, uh, so I'm just a huge Ethan Embry fan. He was recently, I mean, it's not so recent. I was like five years ago, but he played a really important part in a movie called blind spotting. Um, so he's he's continued to have success he was also on grace and frankie which i love so yeah, oh, yeah like so i would say so brendan sexton the third um he was definitely in a lot of films in the 90s as well like i feel like to the listeners he's one of those guys who if you saw him you would say oh yeah that guy he was in blank I mean, he was also in boys don't cry so he's been in like really he plays serious. a lot of very not good dudes in a lot of films he was also i know him from welcome to the dollhouse yeah in addition to boys don't cry mm -hmm. um he never really plays a good dude so i loved seeing him as a as a young actor in this <laughs> um so there are a lot of so i guess for me my like between so i don't really identify with many of them. Oh, one person, one actor we have not mentioned is Debbie Mazer. She's oh, a queen. Hundred things, right? Jane. Like so, she's yes. So there's a lot, but I guess that. So I'm not gonna. There are parts of my life where I very much was a Gina, and then there are parts of my life that I've very much been a Joe. <laughs> <laughs> like just, I think know. I resonate most with Joe today. I'm not sure I ever said that. But you in today's society, Joe 100%, because he's like in his 30s trying to deal with a bunch of dipshits, which I'm not saying I have to deal with dipshits, but these were a bunch of teenagers, and he had to have a tremendous amount of patience and empathy to get through those folks. Right. Okay. So, so those would be, the, I guess, the two that I... That Gina I and Joe, which... Slutty girl. I got I got some boss. Gina in me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, listen, as we've talked, it's pretty clear we're a sex positive people. And yeah. you know, and and you know, Renee Zellweger's character, Gina. I have never walked out into a place in just an apron, but if I had her body, I probably would have, if we're being honest. So yeah, she had confidence. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so she's good friends with Corey, who is you mentioned a senior in high school. She's also an overachieving, um, pressured, like upper class, upper middle class. You're talking about Corey. Corey, yep, who's yeah. set to go to Harvard. And then she's best friends with Gina, who you just mentioned, who's a slut. Like, that's pretty much her only storyline, I think, yeah. is what they give her, is that she's a slut. But she's complex. She's creative, but she's mostly she in this a slut. Singer. Yeah. She wants to be a singer, and she's afraid. Now, okay, so let's talk about scenes that are really important to talk about before we get into best, worst, and cringiest. And I would like to start with the Oscar-worthy performance and then upped by another Oscar-worthy performance of the fight between Corey and Gina. So. Which I just teed up a little because there's some tension there. Like, if you have yeah. an overachieving goody two-shoes who was a virgin... 
right. she was a virgin um right. i'm so like i'm learning a lot about myself because at this point two of the three movies i have suggested has had this entail a woman uh i mean all three of them have some kind of storyline about someone want a some teenage girl wanting to lose her virginity but two of them in particular were girls who like were going out of their way to try to lose their virginity that's the start that when we meet Liv tyler she has said i am going to lose my virginity today to rex manning and that was the plan do you think he's a good person to lose my virginity to who at this point is a washed up singer 30s in his 30s maybe 40s uh, 40s yeah i'd put him easily in his 40s yeah and, and she's so a senior so 17 or 18. yeah so so we meet them Liv tyler has cup brought in cupcakes which we never see the cupcakes again they don't come out <laughs> to the party but um she brings cupcakes and she says there's 20 this is the only hint before Liv Tyler actually takes a pill that Liv Tyler has a speed problem. So she's been doing amphetamines to keep up, but she says there are 24 valuable hours in a day or something like that. Do you, okay. I was like, wait, what did you catch? Cause that was like all she kind of said. And then she, she said, said it, but she says, dad says it. Dad yeah. says, dad says there are 24 hours. hours. Dad's probably on Coke or some shit. But. Well, and then and then later she's there before her shift, but she's excited about Rex Manning. And also she's got to do her calculus homework because dad's making her do calculus. Now, if she'd already gotten into Harvard, she would have already taken calculus is all I'm saying. But whatever. Story plot whole line if they don't know that. <laughs> but um, if so in that movie, so we're doing during the school year, theoretically, um, the two of the girls have both. So Liv Tyler tries to throw herself at Rex Manning. Um, it is a very uncomfortable scene because Liv Tyler strips naked, both well, two of bra and panties, a red bra, which was a cut scene that Renee Zellweger would have given her the red bra, but the red bra and these white panties that were like not, it showed her like schoolgirl. It showed that she's <laughs> a little girl. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she was wearing like a schoolgirly, a plaid pleated skirt. Right. And so she strips in front of him and he mm -hmm. says, are you sure? He says, are you old enough for this? She says, I'm old enough. No, no, no. no. He says, how old, how are, old you? are you? Which I am three for three. Yes. You have I am three for three on some kind of plot line <laughs> you where, where a girl is asked how commonalities old you are. In do you think, you know, like as a lawyer, do you think that just kept coming up because of um, like legal reasons? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we show what media exposed us and what we flock to. And uh, uh, I mean, I've picked the lots of niches, I don't know. So I don't know what that says about me. So, you know, I don't think maybe, maybe one. So I have one of my very good friends is a therapist. Should we have her on as a guest? I don't. These questions. No. <laughs> um, so, uh, so um, she throws herself at him and all he does is, lean back and unzip his pants and he's like let's go which sends her crying which is confusing to me because like i don't know That's what kind exactly of romance she, she thought yeah. was gonna happen while she's sitting in a lunchroom in a record store <laughs> he doesn't say let's go though he 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 unzips his pants and just goes rock and roll <laughs> <laughs> and then she cries 
hysterically cries. <laughs> and then, uh, and that's when poor AJ decides to confess that he's in love with her. And she's mm-hmm. like, I just threw myself at Rex Manning. Why would you do that? So she tells, somehow she has time for a lunch break that they go off site. A lot of stuff happened in like a 12 hour workday or 14 hour workday, but they go off site. She tells Renee Zellweger's character, Gina, about it. And then Gina, and she calls Gina a slut. She says, well, I'm not like a slut like you are. And that's all you're good for. So she's already said that to her. She didn't need to say it again, in my opinion, but whatever. So they go back to the store, Gina, and I'm giving you a long (laughs) review, but Gina has uh starts flirting very heavily with rex manning and ends up in the copy room having sex with rex manning or the office where they count money Liv tyler sees them Liv tyler flips out about how all she's good for is sex rex manning and uh aj get in a physical altercation he gets thrown out of the store she says all you're good for is sex and then <laughs> renee zellberger flips the fuck out and says at least i'm not a speed freak and then explains to us, because I think there's a lot of plot lines that don't get explained until fights later, explains to us that the pills that at one point Liv Tyler takes a pill and you still don't even know what it is unless like, I guess I could have put it together if I thought more about it, but, and then throws all her speed all around the room, yelling at her, screaming at her. And I looked at Eric and I go, well, that's why this bitch got an Oscar. amazing acting and he goes it is the best acting of the movie and oh yeah but then Liv Tyler gets mad that everyone knows so she starts to trash the store competing with the best actor of Empire Records (laughs) so that was one moment that stuck out that I wanted to make sure we talk about the Oscar worthiness and that basically Liv Tyler should have an Oscar because she upshowed Renee Zellweger in my opinion in that okay I feel like, so you mentioned that it kind of comes out of nowhere. And when I was first watching it uh, last night, when it, when it started happening, I thought, oh, wow, this is kind of out of nowhere. And they're, they're revealing a lot about each other in a very short span of time. And so the fact that things were cut makes sense. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I I literally thought, Oh, yeah, but it's supposed to be two teen girls. So this is pretty on brand for, like, two teenage girls who are fighting randomly in the workplace. Like, it, it builds and it silently builds and um, and then it just becomes explosive, right? So then I was thinking, well, this would kind of, sh- like, it, it, you know, did you ever get into fights as, like, a, a teen like th- this wasn't a physical altercation. It was just them screaming no. at each other. So when I was in sixth, no, yeah, sixth grade, I had a friend named Lindsay. I hope you're listening because we still like each other now. But in sixth grade, this is my version of the story. Maybe she'll come on. Something ha- I don't remember what the impetus was. It might have been something over lunch seats or something. And it came down that Lindsay wrote me a note that said, I'll fight you any day, any time. So I almost got into a physical fight. And I was very confused because, uh, maybe it was fifth grade because then I was, from the, I don't know, whatever, sometime in late elementary school. And I guess my friend Joey that I grew up with, and I used to play, like, I had a lot of boy neighbors and we would play sports together. Um, and Joey is no longer with us. Um, 
because heroin got my uh, community quite a bit. But um, he went up to Lindsay and goes, that's not a good idea <laughs> because I would play football with the boys. That's the closest I ever got to a fight. Like I waited after school. She didn't come. So one of our parents came, something like that. And then we stopped talking. But uh, fast yeah. forward later, she and I have gone to a new kids concert in the last five years together. So we're fine. Hell yeah. <laughs> but but that did stop our friendship. Uh, and that's the closest thing. I don't think I've ever gotten like an out loud screaming match. Um, I think I'm a little more private than that, but maybe. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Someone might someone might say, hey, remember that time? <laughs> so. Yeah, I feel like um I definitely feel like I've gotten into confrontations. Um, I don't know if they're ever this intense. Um usually if I had conflict with friends, I would just stop talking to them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we just back away. Before ghosting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah. I'm a friend friendly ghost. Uh so <laughs> cat call it Caspering. I'm gonna coin that. Caspering when you ghost a friend. But um I would say, yeah, I never but like I feel like by the end their all their issues were like resolved suddenly, which confused me. Well well, right. So so at the start of the movie, Deb's character, Deborah's character hated Liv Tyler's character. So Robin Tooney hated Liv Tyler. There's no real reason why. Robin Tooney walks in pissed. She goes in the bathroom, shaves her head. We notice that she has some scar marks. She has her wrist taped up because she has tried to commit suicide. Um, And she, in that moment, had always been really mean to Liv Tyler. But once it comes out that Liv Tyler has drug addiction issues, then Robin Tooney to my understanding of the character was kind of like, okay, this poor bitch doesn't actually know what's going on. Uh, She's not as perfect as she claims to be. Let's like help her out. So they have a very weird bathroom scene together. Uh, And then because their relationship switches all of a sudden, they are now best friends. And Liv Tyler said, well, if she wants to know what it's like, if she, when she was dead, I'm going to throw her a funeral. So they have a funeral service where they all tell her how much they love her, but no one does. They all talk about other stuff. So Liv Tyler says, I miss Gina. And Gina, who had been sent home for the day, has uh, stands in the corner. And uh, here's the whole thing about missing her. And how oh, okay. And I missed that part. Again. Thanks. So it's part of the funeral scene. In the gaps. It was very bizarre because the funeral scene, Deborah says, I, I tried to kill myself with a Bic razor. And I'm sorry, this is we won't go too much into it. And I want to be really sensitive if someone's listening and dealing with these kind of things. But she said, I did it because I feel invisible, but none of the people said anything about her that she was important to them, except I'll miss her. Yeah. And the only one who really said important things to her was Burko, who said, I just don't ever want you to go. Cause he's like dating her. There's something happened it's clear but i think something happened i think she alludes that something happened with someone else too so um she was like just leave me alone but in that mm-hmm. moment was kind of burko's telling her he loved her mm-hmm. as best that happened sure so it was so we could talk for hours because there are so many different pieces to this movie. there's so there's so many like little like subplots so the whole time that's happening so i would say that's like one of the main arcs 
works. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that's what leads to one of, I would say the two kind of climaxes of the film. Um, well, I guess there's one climax, but there's two, like, I would say two primary happy ending. events. Yeah. Well, there's also two events that need the happy ending. Right. Mm -hmm. So then the other one is along this whole way, they don't have the money. Uh, and the the owner of this private, the independent business, so it explores independent businesses in a few different ways, which mm -hmm. I thought was interesting and still applies today, I would say. Yeah, for sure. So um, Mitch, is, Mitch is the owner. Just for... So Empire Records is owned by somebody named Mitch. <laughs> who... <laughs> she's, she's sticking her finger in the throat <laughs> for those of you who don't see it. So Mitch, so background to that, Mitch, his it's a long family business. It used to be a literal like bathroom fixtures business. Uh -huh. Mitch's dad changed it into a record store and then Mitch got stuck with a record store. And he wishes it was a bathroom fixtures store. Yes. So, so he's only collecting a paycheck. So then this kind of explores like having an owner above you. So Joe is really the heart and soul of the store and he's the one actually managing it. But Mitch comes in for his money every night, and he's he's short the nine thousand that Lucas gambled away, right? And he's totally fine selling it to Music Town because he doesn't give a shit about the store. Right. So this whole side, this whole story is happening alongside that. So it's like basically what's precipitating throughout is that they're going to lose the store because they don't have nine thousand dollars to pay Mitch, which that gets confusing to me um, because clearly they were like further under and like clearly there's something happening that makes them under beyond having to give Mitch this money. But well, in the beginning of the movie, the, the money that was stolen was for Joe to save enough money to buy it back, to buy it over Mitch. But then we realized that that 9,000, so I think this is just a plot hole. So Joe is saving money on the side and then Mitch gets his like normal night. They deposit the nights in earnings every night and they didn't deposit that $9,000, which means Joe, who almost has enough saved for the store, now has to take 9,000 out of the savings to give it to Mitch because Mitch has to somehow get the money from the revenues of the day or Lucas goes to jail. Okay, I kind of lost that. Yeah. Okay. Took me a minute to find. <laughs> so is so are you saying that Joe had money still, but then was like, "I'm about to have to give this money up." Yeah, and then he won't be able to buy the store because Joe wanted to save enough money to buy. The okay, store. I did. I never caught that. So thank you. So Love yeah. That. So okay. So that's precipitating the whole time. So like time's running out. Time's running out, and he he may have to put in all his own money to fix Lucas's mistake. Right. And in the beginning, when they introduce Mitch, they say Mitchell Banks. So I thought they were talking about a bank not getting the money. I thought Joe was oh, there for like 45 minutes. And I'm like, right. oh, okay. <laughs> it's Mitchell Bet, I think is the guy's name. It's something like that. Beck, Beck was the name, but it just sounded like bank. So I thought they were just talking. <laughs> I didn't... I can't say I remember too much of that aspect. So it covers, the, yeah. So there's like a few, like it's basically like Joe doesn't want to sell out 
to a corporation. So it's a commentary on independent business sure. versus corporations. And um, to be honest with you, um, you know, spoiler alert, they saved the record store. Mark but saves the record store. Yeah. <laughs> the actual hero of the movie. Yes. He saves it. He goes on a news um he interrupts a live news story and says we're having a party night come bring bring money and uh they they essentially do a fundraiser to save the store but um well, i couldn't help but think because it had you know a happy ending you're like yeah um joe buys the business right mm -hmm. he um he he's able to buy it because of all the money that they raised and um something that i couldn't help but think was like it has a happy ending you think yes independent business prevails over corporations yay record stores no longer exist um as so you mentioned that that woman was at arizona store 166 of tower records yeah yeah of tower records which means that there were at least 166 of them in the United States. And, uh, it, you know, now record stores are very niche. Yep. They're only and, uh, you know, back then it was very much, it wasn't that the store would ever shut down because they had steady business all day. Yeah. And the reason why they had steady business was because in the nineties and, you know, prior to the nineties, that's the only way you could purchase music for consumption at home was you had to go somewhere that sold a physical copy of that media. So it was never a matter of, oh, how do we get business in here um, or anything like that? It was more a matter of um, not selling out, mm -hmm. but contemporarily, the storyline would very much be trying to keep a record store alive in an increasingly digitized um, landscape. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, this the store was like, I don't know, it, it was two stories-ish. Yeah. It had a lot of space. Um, they had like listening booths because if you wanted to sample an album, you couldn't just stream it. You had to like listen to the physical album. So they had a bunch of booths where people could listen to music. Um, it, it was like a whole experience. And the staff was like, there's like eight of them or something, right? Way more staff than I, I was just like, how many people work here? This is great. <laughs> and they were like earn, all earning like living wages, which was like wild to me. Like I... I, I I hate to say it, but I can't imagine many people are earning um, livable wages as record store employees. Today, well, during the eighties and nineties, you could buy a house if you worked at a retail establishment. Like it's just right. you know, inflation hasn't caught the housing market hasn't caught up. But it is funny that you say that because in the end, independent record stores are the ones that persisted. Because the yeah. only time you ever see a record store is like some funky little record store in some funky little town that also probably has a witchy store next to it or whatever. And like, the but the only record stores that exist, there's no strawberries. There's no Sam Goody. There's right. <laughs> those things. Well, there's an FYE. So in Portland, Portland's still filled. I would say, I wouldn't say filled, but I would say 
per capita. Portland, Oregon probably has more record stores than the, um, the, than another, you know, comparable an metros. <laughs> um, but right now I'm in Florida and there is a mall, um, a few miles away from me here that is what I would classify as a perpetually dying mall. It's frequented yeah. enough. where people um still go there but it it just always it, it it's it just has this like air of dystopian late stage capitalism because it's like sad i don't know it's like people are there and shopping but it all just feels like everything's kind of old looking Yeah. and Well, in that mall specifically, like the last hurricane took out the roof of Macy's and those kind of like the big stores all had complete, complete shutdown because of the, the, so those anchor oh uh-huh stores, the JCPenney, the Macy's and all those stores, um, because one of my friend's husband was working on the roofs, um, totally flooded out. So the only things even available in that mall are all the shitty rundown kind of middle stores that aren't usually Oh, the reason why you go. okay. So I just got really into my love of dying malls. Um, I love dying malls. I love, a, I love walking through malls. My friend, uh, Daniel, shout out Daniel, if he's listening, <laughs> uh, does something called mall walking where he goes oh yeah with to the malls old ladies in the morning and he walks seven around. a.m Yep. sports cards Uh-huh. And so oh yeah I, I love a good mall walk. Um, I love going, getting some snacks, getting a coffee, just taking a nice walk. Anyway, but since we can't have um, gluten it's so depressing so all i want is a friggin pretzel <laughs> and we oh both have man, gluten allergies tangerines. sorry to blow you up and <laughs> So then, um, I just want to say there's still an FYE in there. Uh, just send the landscape of what, what, if you're experiencing a record store, that's what it feels like though. It's totally empty. It's not records. FYE means for your entertainment. So it's mostly like, I think board games and shit in there. Oh, interesting Nothing person. else really. I'm adapting. I like it. Yeah, it, there's still stuff in there, but like, no one's really in there, Yeah. you know? And so it is, it is a dying, um, like kind of like the producer, how the producer invested in this film, but not Clueless. Um, it, it's like kind of like, I feel like Joe made what he thought was a good investment, but only Yeah. time I mean, it will was tell. for like 10 more <laughs> years. yeah, it was. You're right. You're right. It would have been about 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. Where it still would have been successful, And but he sold it to him for cheap because he didn't want to deal with all those people. So he true says, I'll sell it to you for cheap. And he goes, you got a deal. And then a contract was made. That's not how contracts work, people. Just letting you know. <laughs> there has to be an actual price involved for the but contract. he has he does have um he does have a pretty bloated staff though so Yeah. i can't imagine he kicked any back but Well, they anyway all quit at the end. <laughs> let's none get of into none of them uh were gonna work. what is your most favorite least favorite So the and cringiest well the other the other overarching Oh. story is the love story between AJ and Corey. That's Yes. the other. So Corey loved her from afar for a long time. I mean AJ loved her from afar for a long time. Okay. So I'm the host. You tell me love to hate it cringiest. <laughs> In whatever order you'd like. All right. Okay, so my favorite part, this is kind of why I wanted to why I was rushing that along because I wanted to get into how my favorite part was the fact that 
these were very much what I would call public spheres back then. And I loved that. I loved seeing that captured. And so there were a few moments where they just had like a 30 second montage of different shots of people enjoying music in the booths or um, like a delivery person's like dancing to music that they're playing. Mm -hmm. So that was my favorite because it showed just how unifying and touching and emotional listening to music can be. There's when they are panning through at one point of the booths, they show like one person really like vibing with the music and really enjoying it. Like they show that, then they show like a couple like making out because they're horny listening to music, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then they they show um someone like crying to mm -hmm. a karen carpenter album and oh so, by like, the way karen carpenter the most beautiful clear voice that ever existed mm -hmm. i feel really strongly about that keep going she's made for christmas music keep going Sorry. i could see why you cry to karen carpenter for sure um so that was my favorite um am i supposed to just go all the way through yeah and Whatever so my uh Oh, and then my second favorite, just want to say there were two moments related to, you mentioned Corey and AJ, how AJ has a crush and tells Corey he has a crush on her. And Burko goes to say something to Deborah. There's two moments when these men tried to approach the women that were the object of their affection. And both times the woman said something like, I need to be left alone right now. And both times those dudes went, okay. And just yep. back the fuck that, away, true. which I really appreciated. I yep. was like, all right, we love, a, we love a boundary King. <laughs> so that happened. Um, so least favorite. Oh gosh. I'll get back to least favorite because I want to get into cringe, which is related to that same music scene. So in that same music scene, my dude, Mark, yeah, he's a pretty ballerina listening to music and practicing dancing to that music. Uh, he's dusting and it's supposed to be like kind of a cute, silly moment, but he he fucking leans in and tries to kiss her on the cheek. She has no idea he exists. Her eyes are closed. Um, she's dancing. And then she like wakes up before he can kiss her. And then he starts giggling. He pulls her arm up to do a ballet move and slaps him in the face. Yeah. And, and then... then there's a moment where she sticks her leg up and he walks by and he kisses her foot. <laughs> I would have been like, you're a stranger. First of all, she was barefoot in a record store. So we should Which talk about that's a weird strange. choice, but that's her choice, not his. Consider. Right. So yeah. Um, oh man, I would say probably my least favorite is the slut shaming that Corey does. Um of what's her name gina, gina yep. <laughs> when Corey slits shames gina that that hurt and uh i remember really loving live tyler like i i really love live tyler and a lot of and i loved her in a lot of films back then and um i would say it hurt me because i loved her character so much before and i guess i had forgotten that part and i was like Oh wow, you were kind of a judgmental bitch. Right. right. <laughs> Which like that 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 hurt that hurt me to watch. So Okay. Um I I will say that I loved um there are two things. Uh so my favorite scene 
was the scene where they were all dancing to Rex's terrible music and like making fun of him. Mm-hmm. Though it was confusing that at one point, like AJ and Deborah looked like they were like straight kissing and like she took off his shirt and there uh-huh. was like, and I know that that's what inspired Liv Tyler to start getting jealous and lo- realize she loved AJ. But so the whole thing. It was thing, super uncomfortable and out weird. of care. It was out of character for Deborah, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a plot uh, continuity error because he is topless dancing with her and they like almost make out and it's like really weird and sexual. And from afar, they show Joe watching them all dancing. And in that scene, AJ is wearing a shirt again. And then they pan back and he yells at them to stop. And then he's half naked again. Yeah. So, but outside of that weird little part of it, like Lucas was dancing with the old lady and it was just that like joy through music like everyone has exactly. them and so I did I did like that part. The theme that I loved was the theme that and I, I hate that this is so important to me because it should be more normal. But Joe never sexualized the girls. In fact, when the girl like you have young girls working for you and you one of them comes out in an apron and she's like shaking her ass and just has underwear and an apron on and he's like put clothes on. Like he was just so I was so happy that it was so appropriate because everyone else, mm-hmm. all the other adults were inappropriate with these girls. So I was just so happy that he, like the, the fact that he took Lucas in, like mm-hmm. as a, as a kind of like messed up teen, you know, like all those, you know, Lucas discloses when he was 10, he had a problem with bedwetting and behavior disorders. So he, his mom turned him over to the state and then somehow Joe came in, which is why Joe covers from the whole movie. It's very confusing up until yeah. that point, why Joe would cover for Lucas because Lucas is just kind of this shithead who like ta- tries to talk like a philosopher and like doesn't and oh, lost kind of money. But so so he has this big heart, which is maybe why I'm in love with him because I'm in love with people's hearts more than more than. No, I, I love that's why when you asked and I thought you were talking about Lucas, I was like, oh yeah, I would say he's the one of all of them. I had the biggest crush on him, Mm-mm. probably because of this. The kind of guy that Lucas was is the kind of guy that pisses me off. <laughs> well, now I mean yeah. now, but imagine when I'm younger, he seemed so because <laughs> he spoke with such confidence. <laughs> I'm a nine. <laughs> like it resonated with nine-year-old me. <laughs> I would have liked AJ because he was sweet. He's like, oh, well, of nice. course. How could you not love? And that AJ actor? was physically more attractive. He's and now so it's a smoke show. But just want to point out Johnny Whitworth back to that movie Bye Bye Love, which I'm still trying to find because I really want to watch it. He was in that too, real okay. babe. Um, my cringiest was was the Rex Manning Liv Tyler scene. I like couldn't, yep. couldn't deal with that one. Um as particularly Close second because, for me. because I just don't understand what she thought was gonna happen. I mean I'm not blaming like he was gross. He was disgusting. And I think a lot of times societally we get more frustrated with our own. Like I don't I have a I have I have to work through holding women to the same standards as men because I hold us higher a lot of times because I think better of us sometimes. <laughs> so like, you know, so I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to take away from the fact that she was probably not age appropriate, but like, I just don't understand what she thought was going to happen. So her reaction and crying like that, I was just very confused because it didn't seem like she thought that 
I don't, did she think they were going to be in love? I don't know. It was frustrating to me. So I thought that was really cringiest. I also wrote down peeping together. So I don't know who was watching what, but that part, uh, <laughs> my notes are unclear. The part that I hated from this movie was that love was shown through violence so much. So when I I hate romantic comedy scenes, like Liv Tyler goes and fucks up AJ when she tells him that she loves yeah. him. She's like, I hate you for now. You don't love me anymore. It's been three hours, girl. Like if he was in love with you, he wouldn't be not in love with you. And she's pushing him on the ground and she's hitting him and she's bigger than him. And, <laughs> and like, she's saying nice things as this is as happening she hits him. because That's he's why. an artist. And so she's telling him you're talented while like right. beating the shit out of him. And like, and to some extent, the same thing, like Joe took Lucas in the office and beat him up. And threw him down the stairs and said, you know, you deserved that, right? And now, would I have hit Lucas much earlier in the movie? Probably. I don't know. I've never actually hit someone in my life. Would I have had the urge if I was that kind of person? Most people have some kind of like physical reaction to anger. I don't happen to have that. But, you know, could that have been part of it? Sure. But I mean, like, he's like, you did, you know that you deserve that, right? And he's like, yeah, I know. Like, and it just, so this kind of like, I don't understand why movies do this. And I think that this is one of those kind of dangerous messages that gets sent in movies that this idea that showing someone you love them incorporates any type of violence is, and I know is people see that scene as romantic and, and that's bothersome to me because it's not romantic that she was hitting him. Like you, you should never be in that situation. So, so I didn't, I don't, I don't love the finale of that relationship because I feel, and then it was weird because like when they finally got together, she just kept doing these back bends instead of kissing him like a normal person. And I was like, what is going on here? This is so like euphoric. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I guess she was high. So that's the answer to that. But, um, but I, (laughs) I I was, I don't, I hate the way that that coupling came together. It bothers me. That's my story that's fair yeah so any other parts that you want to make sure we cover no i think um i think we hit all mine um so what do you think does it does it pass the smell test honestly i will never watch this movie again and i did not enjoy it at all <laughs> so it doesn't matter if it the smell test or not i don't think that it's so offensive i okay. do besides that like the end the the danger and i know she wasn't like she wasn't to have a gun. She wasn't like threatening him. But there, I think there's a lot of danger in showing that that's how you show someone your love. And we see that in the way like teenage relationships go in these yeah. kind of hyper dramatic spaces. Sure. So I, so I would like that part to be edited out. Um, but it covers space like you know when Joe went to, when Joe saw uh, Deborah sitting alone in the booth and he saw that she had the the wrist braces on and he said to her like do you need help how can I talk to you and she said oh you're gonna fix things and there was this like very tender moment like those kind of things valuably brought up the kind of regularity that people deal with some of these feelings so in that way I don't think it should be banned from life it Mm -hmm. passes the smell test I just didn't like it that's fair um yeah I think that's you know (laughs) I can't imagine 
watching this for the first time as someone in their 40s. No. Um, because like I said, I just thought they were all so cool that I just wanted to be like all of them one day. And I wanted to work in a record store and I wanted to have cool friends. And so, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I will say watching it again, I definitely empathize more with Joe than anybody else. I did... Um, you know, you may, you raise really good points about the, um, like the violence is love or violence is passion kind of, kind of storyline. I just kind of saw it as like really immature love, um, emotional, like really, um, uh, just emotional immature, well, not just, but I, I was viewing it as, oh yeah, they're emotionally immature. This is really, um, silly but you're right because Liv Tyler says something like when I saw you I think she said when I she's it was some I don't think it was when she saw him with Deborah but there was something where she's like and I got mad and then I you know and I think you kind of said that but it was that's how she realized she loved him was right. that Jealousy. and then he said to her that when he realized he loved her and when he gave her a speech earlier he said I realized I loved you when I um, didn't like that skirt you were wearing one day. And I still loved you in it. And I still loved <laughs> you in it and that, and I knew, and that, that is kind of to an extent makes a little more sense and is a little more mature in that he's saying, he was trying to say, I knew it wasn't infatuation because I don't think you're just perfect, which in relationships, we shouldn't ever just think someone's, totally perfect you got to accept them if you if you uh accept someone as a partner you're accepting them warts and all right and so um that was a good point i would say but you're right in that the physicality and the violence um isn't a great portrayal of what teenage relationships could or should look like he also said he was going to move to boston to be closer to her which is very you know like a little codependent you know but um so that makes sense ultimately they didn't use a lot of slurs um you know it was it, it a little was, bit of an anti-gay moment it was yep when they said uh that like only gay people listen to rex manning but it could be um, accurate because I, mean. <laughs> I would say you know i when i rewatch movies you know, some words are thrown out real casually, uh, mm -hmm. more than they are today. Uh, so that was, I thought that was interesting. Uh, they, um, you know, Joe, like you said, acted appropriately. Uh, I, so I would say overall for me, it still passes for what it is, which is like, kind of like the case I made with fast times. It's, it's just a good snapshot of that period of time all right but i also point out just to be conscious of this every employee in that store was a white person oh yeah for sure um so they did feature some like patrons who were non-white but i mean it's i don't know what delaware looks like or parts of delaware but um you know that that's that's just something to think about that you used to be able to afford rent at jobs like that when the entire workforce was white. So, <laughs> yes. And so, 
I think on that, as we go through these movies, you know, I'm battling back and forth with should I be more conscious about the ones I pick? And I'm digging right from our childhood. So I think that's a good way to uh, start bringing in some more people to come and be guest stars for us to, to talk about the movies that impacted them. Um, yeah. In those spaces. All right, y'all. So uh, stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs> that's the name of the movie. And uh, thank you all for coming and listening. We love All it. right. Take care, everybody. <laughs>